was like, oh, something happened here. Let's not have that happen during Okay. Good times. Always fine.
the sovereign of heaven whom angels adore is wrapped in the weakness of our mortal frame the little lord jesus asleep on the
the stars lay helpless in a maiden's arms and pressed against her heart while sheep and cattle raised their voice the babe could speak no words the ever-flowing spring of joy had come to share our
Good morning. <laughs> Welcome this morning to Hebron Baptist Church, the day after Christmas, the day after we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What an opportunity to, to gather and worship as God's family, as his, uh, uh, as his adopted children. Um, as we prepare to, to sing, let's, uh, let's rise together as we read from God's scriptures. Uh, it's up on the screens. Please read along with me. This is what God, the Lord, says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations, in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another, or my praise to idols. The past events have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. Sing a new song, to the Lord. Sing his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea with all that fills it, you coasts and islands with your inhabitants, let the desert and its cities shout. The settlements where Kedar dwells cry aloud. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them cry out from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coasts and islands. The Lord advances like a warrior. He stirs up his zeal like a soldier. He shouts his roars aloud. He prevails over his enemies. That is from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 5 through 13. Let's sing those shouts of praise. the day in your presence all our fears are washed away washed away Welcome. 
Welcome to Hebron Baptist Church. Merry Christmas season. Hope you had an awesome Christmas remembering our Savior's birth. Well, as Hebron Baptist Church, we exist to glorify God by inviting every person to take their next steps toward Christ. 
For some, this might look like entering into a relationship with God. For others, it might look like following the Lord in faithfulness to baptism or joining a local church. Wherever we are, we want to encourage all of us to take our next steps toward Christ. Well, if you're a guest with us today, thank you so much for coming. We're so glad that you are here. We would love to get to know you. And one way we can do that is through a Connect card. It looks like this. You can reach out into the seat right in front of you and grab a Connect card. If you fill this out, this will let us know how we can be praying for you, how we can be serving you. After service, if you walk out these back two central doors, if you turn left, you'll see our Next Steps desk. There you can turn this Connect card in. A free gift will be given to you. Any questions that you may have can be answered. So guests, thank you so much for coming. We're so glad that you're here today. Also, as usual, we like to encourage our faithful worship through giving. If you'd like to give, there's a few ways that you can do that. One of those is by pulling out an online giving card. It looks like this. Also, right in front of you, if you scan that QR code with your phone, that'll take you to our online giving page. If you prefer to give in person, there are black boxes on the back wall here in this room. You can put a gift in. You can also write to P.O. Box 92, Hebron, Kentucky, 41048. Or you can drop into the office Monday through Thursday, 9 to 430, or Friday, 9 to noon. Well, this morning... Unfortunately, I have some sad news to report. Uh, many of you know longtime church member Art Snyder, and sadly, Art passed away just two days ago on Christmas Eve. He was battling cancer and pneumonia. Um, they will not have a funeral, rather a family service, but please do be in prayer for him, for rather his family, for his wife Donna. We'll, we'll pray now and include him in our prayers, so please join me in prayer. Lord, this morning we just have a whirlwind of thoughts and emotions from joy, thinking of your birth, to sorrow as we miss Art. And we thank you that Art's great hope is now sight to him, that the Savior that he worshipped and that we remember on Christmas Eve, he is now in the presence of, of Jesus. Thank you that that is the hope of all who put our faith in you. How kind you are, Lord, um, that you've not left us to drift away, but to have eternal life in you if we put our faith in you. And Lord, we want to lift up to you this morning Art's family. We pray for his wife, Anna. We pray for his family members that in this time of sorrow that they would find great hope and rest in you and what you've done. Lord, how timely that he would pass away on Christmas Eve when that is the eve when we remember your act of salvation that would break through the power of death through the ministry of your son Jesus who died but didn't stay dead and rose again and offers that same hope for all who put their faith in him. This morning, Lord, we come to you to worship as we think about our core value of engaging worship. Thank you, Lord, for the invitation to bow down and worship before you. We think of the wise men who bowed before you, Jesus, when you were just a young child. We bow before you, who became flesh, who dwelt among us, who didn't simply look upon us from afar, but who knows firsthand what it's like to be human, to walk on this earth, Thank you, Lord, for giving your very life for us in the death of Jesus. Lord, we worship you, and we pray that you this year, or this, this coming year in 2022 and the rest of this year, that you would give us a greater glimpse of how great and worthy of worship you are. Lord, as we gather as a, a local church here, as we sing to you this morning, we pray that you would allow our words of worship to be genuine and to go to your heart. We pray that our quiet times with you would be sweet moments of praise and joy-filled worship. Lord, please let our personal and corporate worship be a source of encouragement to one another. Thank you for being so worthy of our worship. 
This morning, Lord, we, we pray not only for ourselves, but we pray for our brothers and sisters worshiping you across the globe in London. We pray for Chiswick Baptist Church. Please bless Pastor Steve Messersmith. Be with his wife, Lisa. Uh, at this time of the year, I pray that they would be encouraged of the great reality that you became flesh in Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, and that they would worship you because of that amazing truth. Lord, we come to you in this wonderful season with sorrows on our hearts. Again, this mixed emotions. We, we praise you for what you've done for us, and we also come to you with many things, Lord, on our hearts, many people experiencing sickness. We pray, Lord, for Linda Davis, that you would bring healing to her. For Joy Budai, Lord, with the passing of Joy's husband, Carl. Lord, we pray for Paulette Shock, Lord, uh, still fighting COVID-19. Lord, please bring healing to her. We also pray for Jeremy Wilson's parents with COVID. Please be with these and many other requests, Lord. Again, Lord, we pray for Art's family, that you would be so near to them and that you would bring healing in all these circumstances. We think also, Lord, of those affected by the tornadoes in Kentucky and across the country whose Christmases are not surely what they had planned. We pray that in the midst of all these hard times, that Jesus, you would shine brighter, that your birth would mean so much more, that clarity would be given for how great you are and what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, that in, in moments of sorrow, we have so much to, to praise you for and give you thanks for. And Lord, with that in mind, we come to you finally with our greatest need, and that is a forgiveness of our, of our sins. We thank you, Lord, that though we have all gone astray, we have all fallen short of your glory, that especially in the time of Christmas, we remember that your response to that wasn't to judge us, but it was to send your Son, that he would live a perfect life, that he would die on the cross, so that all who trust in him would not experience your just judgment, but be given eternal life. We thank you that he bore your wrath on the cross so that those who trust in him would not. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have this morning because of Jesus. We praise you for his resurrection. We pray that that would be our source of life and worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand together to sing our next song, so we're reminded that on those perfect mornings where we've gotten up and we've done our quiet times and we've been uh had the wonderful perfect attitude towards our, our brothers and sisters and we've been gracious and all of those things and had like the, the best christian day we still need jesus we require him and even on our worst days even when we uh we feel separated our attitude's all wrong we miss our quiet time and other things we need jesus just as much as we sing together Sealed by heavy stone, the 
higher still and all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore, for endless days we will sing your praise, O Lord, O Lord our God. Then on the third at break of dawn, the sun of heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? The angels roll for Christ the King.
you guys, I think I could sing those all year long. I hadn't thought about it until just now. Um, Brian and I talked a little bit about the songs, but uh, the, the noise of men in strife, not hush, you know. Uh, when we sing those words, we sing those to each other. Hush. Hear the angels' song. And uh, it reminds me of all the different things that we see around us, the warnings that we read day to day, and we just ignore. There's some funny ones. Um, one comes to mind is the California Proposition 65. I don't know if you know which one that one is. That's the label that says whatever's in this thing gives cancer to people in California. I don't know why it's worse in California, but it's always California. I remember uh, I was eating at one of those hibachi places, you know, where they cook out in front of you. And, uh, and I just happened to look on the side of the table, and I won't tell you which one, partly because I don't remember. Um, but on the label on the side of the cooktop was like Proposition 65 warning. This product is known to cause cancer in people in California. So all I can tell you is don't move to California. Um, those things are all over the place, and you're going to look for them now, and you're gonna, whenever you see them, you're going to smile. Um, some other ones, I think about that EULA agreement, every time you get an update on your phone or something, and that big long, Ed knows what I'm talking about, that big long thing that nobody reads, and you just scroll to the bottom and click agree and sign your life away. Um, used to be, 
I don't remember having seen this in a while. Maybe I've just ignored it for so long, but I can remember the FBI warning at the beginning of a movie, you know. You got to sit and read through this thing. Or, you know, nobody's reading it, but you just tune it out. Who knows what that thing says? Might say this thing will explode in 10 seconds. Would never know if we don't read it. I think about speed limit signs, right? <laughs> like, let's be honest. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't actually. Uh, I do, I don't like maliciously speed, but I have been known on occasion to uh, not uh, regard every speed limit sign. Uh, until um, I, I um, I'm not, this isn't like a State Farm advertisement, maybe other companies do this, but they had this app, you know, where you can have a transponder in your car and it tells you, and it alerts State Farm as to your driving. So the idea was if you're a safe driver, it takes note of that, your stops, speed limits, all, and whether or not you're playing with your phone or whatever while you're driving, and then if you do good on all those things, you get a good score and you get a discount on your, on your insurance. Uh, just My brother was asking, he was looking at getting that, and he was asking me about it, and he's like, you know, does it count, you know, when your spouse is on their phone? While you're, and I was like, oh, that's a good question. So for the first time, I actually went and checked my score. Now I, now I obey speed limit signs better. <laughs> uh, many of us kind of, many of us at the beginning of COVID, uh, and this isn't meant to start a, any kind of a, of, a, of, a, of a fight that's already been going on, but, but I, I, I do, there is a phenomenon. You, you, no matter where you fall, you've seen this happen. At the beginning of COVID, there were people who were terrified, and there were people who were convinced that it was no big deal. And some of the people in that second group felt that way all the way up until a family member got it or a friend or loved one, and uh, they got, maybe got sick. Maybe that got better. I hope they did, but in some cases, they didn't. And, um, and again, I, I'm not bringing any of that up to say one thing or the other about COVID or COVID mitigation, but what I'm saying is the game changes for some when it gets close to home. Those warnings start to be more important to you when you've lost a loved one in the same way that I started paying a little bit more attention to the speed limit signs when I realized that it wasn't saving me as much money on my car insurance as I thought it was by speeding, right? So it's amazing when it comes close to home, we tend to pay more attention to these warnings. Today, uh, we see a warning given uh, to uh, some of the tribes of Israel uh, like this. We're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 22. So last week, uh, we finished our series through Ruth, uh, and this week we're going to do kind of a one-off, and then next week another one, and then we'll start a new series in January. Um, but So we're going to be in Joshua 22. If you don't have a copy of the Bible with you, um, I really encourage you to have one out. There's one in front of you. Um, if you want to use that pew Bible, it's page number 203. But we're going to look at Joshua 22 together. So... Um, so turn in or on your copy of God's Word to Joshua 22. I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, I would rather read God's Word and you hear it than hear what I have to say. So uh, we'll start with that, and whatever time we have left, I'll talk, okay? Um, Joshua 22, starting in verse 1, the Lord God tells us in his Word, Joshua summoned the Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh and told them, you have done everything Moses the Lord's servant commanded you and have obeyed me in everything I commanded you. 
You have not deserted your brothers even once this whole time, but have carried out the requirement of the command of the Lord your God. Now that he has given your brothers rest, just as he promised them, return to your homes in your own land that Moses the Lord's servant gave you across the Jordan. Only carefully obey the command and instruction that Moses the Lord's servant gave you. To love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, keep his commandments, be loyal to him, and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Joshua blessed them and sent them on their way, and they went to their homes. Moses had given territory to half the tribe of Manasseh in Bashan, but Joshua had given territory to the other half and with their brothers on the west side of the Jordan. When Joshua sent them to their homes and blessed them, he said, Return to your homes with great wealth, a huge number of cattle and silver, gold, bronze, iron, and a large quantity of clothing. Share the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. The Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh in the land of Canaan to return to their own land of Gilead, which they took possession of according to the Lord's command through Moses. When they came to the region in the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh built a large, impressive altar there by the Jordan. Then the Israelites heard it said, Look, the, the Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan at the region of the Jordan, on the Israelite side. When the Israelites heard this, the entire Israelite community assembled at Shiloh to go to war against them. The Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, to the Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. They sent ten leaders with him, one family leader for each tribe of Israel. All of them were heads of their ancestral families among the clans of Israel. They went to the Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead and told them, This is what the Lord's entire community says. What is this treachery you have committed today against the Lord God of Israel by turning away from the Lord and building an altar for yourselves so that you are in rebellion against the Lord today? Wasn't the iniquity of Peor, which brought a plague on the Lord's community, enough for us? We have not cleansed ourselves from it even to this day, and now you would turn away from the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow, he will be angry with the entire community of Israel. But if the land you possess is defiled, cross over to the land the Lord possesses, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession of it among us. But don't rebel against the Lord or against us by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Wasn't Achan, son of Zerah, unfaithful regarding what was set apart for destruction, bringing wrath on the entire community of Israel? He was not the only one who perished because of his iniquity. The Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered the heads of the Israelite clans. The mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows, and may Israel also know. Do not spare us today, if it was in rebellion or treachery against the Lord that we have built for ourselves an altar to turn away from him. May the Lord himself hold us accountable if we intended to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings on it or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it. 
We actually did this from a specific concern that in the future your descendants might say to our descendants, what relationship do you have with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you descendants of Reuben and Gad. You have no share in the Lord, so your descendants may cause our descendants to stop fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us take action and build an altar for ourselves, but not for burnt offering and sacrifice. Instead, it is to be a witness between us and you and between the generations after us so that we may carry out the worship of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to our descendants, we have no share in the Lord. We thought that if they said this to us or to our generations in the future, we would reply, look at the replica of the Lord's altar that our fathers made, not for burnt offering or sacrifice, but as a witness between us and you. We would never, ever rebel against the Lord or turn away from him today by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering or sacrifice, other than the altar of the Lord our God, which is in front of his tabernacle. When the priest, Phinehas, and the community leaders, the head of, Israelites, of Israel's clans who were with him, heard what the descendants of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the descendants of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against him. As a result, you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's power. Then the priest Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and the leaders returned from the Reubenites and Gadites in the land of Gilead to the Israelites in the land of Canaan and brought back a report to them. The Israelites were pleased with the report, and they blessed God. They spoke no more about going to war against, the ra against them to ravage the land where the Reubenites and Gadites lived. So the Reubenites and Gadites named the altar. It is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Let's pray together. Father God, you spoke to us first. Help us to listen. I pray that your word would be clear as we hear it. And may the words of our heart, the words of our mouth, and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you as we study your word. We pray these in Christ's name. Amen. To give you some background of the story, um, there's this interesting situation where the people of Israel are, are moving into the promised land. They're starting to clear out uh, the inhabitants there. When they first approach the Jordan, it, they, they do have some early uh, victories in these cities on, on the other side of the Jordan from the Promised Land. And so um, the land looks great, and a couple of the different tribes, and half the tribe of Manasseh, uh, the Rubites, the Gadites, half the tribe of Manasseh, you've heard that phrase seven times, actually, in this passage, um, they asked Joshua it, if it would be okay if when all this is over, can we come back here and this be our land? Joshua said, that's, that's fine, on one condition. You need to go with us to do battle against all of the people of the land so that we can clear it out all together with one army, all 12 tribes of Israel, okay? And once that's finished, and once the land is clean, cleared of all the people, uh, all, all the, the, the Canaanites that are there, then you may then go back and live here. That would be fine. And they agreed to that. So what they did is they left their wives and children, the, the men, the fighting men, left their wives and children and all their stuff, 
And they went on with the rest of the other tribes of Israel, and they did battle together with the other tribes of Israel. One of the things that's important for us to remember, we look at 1 Chronicles 5, it testifies to the fact that these two and a half tribes were actually carrying a lot of the fighting weight of the conquest of Canaan. They were known as great warriors. They were a great asset. They fought bravely for the people of Israel. And so they did, in fact, hold up their end of the deal, which is the beginning of our story. And so Joshua gives another allowance to them. He says, we're, we, we've done enough. We feel like the rest of those that we can clear out, we can do without your help. You've done great because of your faithfulness. Take your share of the spoil, split it among you, and you can go on home to your families, right? But on one condition, remember the law that you received. Remember the God that brought you to this place. Continue to love him and worship him and serve him. Be faithful to the law that he's given you. None of these are new laws. They were reminders. This, as I was reading this, and maybe you thought similarly, um, parenting, it kind of reminds me of parenting a little bit. Uh, and, and I'm by no means an expert. My children are very little. Um, but there is a concept, I imagine, and those of you who have older children, you can probably tell me better. But I imagine as the day approaches where you're starting to realize that your kids are going to leave home, all the wit and wisdom stuff starts going rapid fire, right? Because it's like, I've got to get this kid ready for the world. Now, I remember um, we actually did, one, uh, several years ago, my wife and I, the previous church did a study um, where uh, it was uh, by, by J.D. Greer on, um, on parenting. And, and they had this phrase that I thought found really helpful. He said, later is longer. So he says, you want, to, you want to actually be thinking about preparing your children for that day way sooner rather than later. It's a lot harder later to train your children in the way they should go to get them ready to be on their own than if you begin at a much earlier age. So that's one of the things we tried to do as, a, as, as parents as earlier rather than later that we would... Um, that we, would, um, that we would prepare our children to go. But I imagine, though, even the, our, with our best efforts, I'm sure that as they get to their older teenage years and we start to thinking about college or, or moving out of the house for a job or whatever it is they might, be want, they might want to do when they leave our home, we're preparing them for the world. We realize that they're going to go to a place probably away from us, if they're anything like we were, and we're not going to be there to help them. We're not going to be there... To, to help them with the little things. The only time we'll ever hear and they'll need help is when it's real bad, you know, like come pick me up six hours away and my car is stuck on the side of the road, things like that, right? So we, those things we really can't prepare them that well. We can some, somewhat prepare them for, but the rest of the stuff we realize, the little stuff, they're going to have to figure that out on their own unless we prepare them. So we're thinking things like um, peer pressure, right? When they get off, maybe they go off to college and they're surrounded by people who don't love the Lord, and they start to make friends with these people, and they start to spend time with these people, and so we need to be prepared for, uh, preparing them for that peer pressure they're going to experience. And so we, we, we work that into our parenting, you know, and as we get closer to that day, it gets worse. The same thing sort of going on here. They realize, Joshua realizes, and the rest of Israel, the nine and a half tribes that are going to stay on that side of the Jordan, realize that once they go, there's going to be a huge pressure, right? Um, it says that as we sort of finish the job, but as we read the rest of the Old Testament, they haven't. They haven't cleared out the people. They're, they're still there. There's still Canaanites there. There's still people there who worship other gods. And that's 
a problem that will plague the people of Israel for the rest of the Old Testament. The, the other tribes, the other nations that surround them, teaching them to go after other gods and to disobey God's law. That's going to be a const, constant problem. And so they know that's going to happen. And so they're like, you not, you've got to remember when you go, you need to remember to follow God's law because it's going to be harder. You're going to be farther away from us. So the first thing we want to see in this text, the charge to obedience is serious. Right? This isn't like, have fun storming the castle. This is, remember the law that God has given you. This is serious. This is going to be hard where you're going. In the original temptation, Genesis chapter 3, when the, 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 the serpent tempts Adam and Eve, he tempts them by saying, you will not surely die if you eat the fruit. Now, God said, if you eat the fruit, you will surely die. It was abundantly clear. It happened 10 minutes ago. Like, it's just right there in the text. But Satan says, you probably won't die. It's just that God doesn't want you to be like him. So the consequences of you eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you're not supposed to eat will just be that you'll be like God. You won't die. One of the chief temptations from the beginning of time is to convince us that sin is no big deal. To convince us that disobeying God's law is fine a little bit. Just, just a little bit. Don't go overboard, but just some. It's okay. God won't strike you dead. And we've forgotten that every sin, every one, deserves death. And every time we, myself included, do anything, the smallest thing, Every time we do that, God doesn't strike us dead is a grace that we do not deserve. Every moment that we're given is a grace. We've forgotten uh, in, that, in that moment, uh, and God says, you need to know that my kindness is meant to lead, my kindness and forbearance is meant to lead you to forgiveness. And so, but we forget that. We presume on God's grace, and we forget that every sin deserves death. And this text needs to remind us of how serious sin is the extent to which Israel is willing to go to stamp out sin in their midst. We're going to see a little bit more in a moment. It's very important. This hopefully helps us to shape our minds around the way we ought to think about life on Monday. Right? When we go off on our own way, when you go to work on Monday or Tuesday or whenever it is that you go to work, you're not here you don't have the comfort of your brothers and sisters around you holding you accountable. You don't have their encouraging faces and the songs that they're singing to you. You don't have the sermon. You don't have any of those things. Most of you are on your own at work. So in what way is your experience here at church, when we gather together on Sunday morning, how is that preparing you for that distance that you're going to experience in your day. Whether maybe it's at home, if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you, if you work from home, but you're not here, you're alone. Is what you're hearing here, what you're discussing in your life groups together, what you're learning in, in, in smaller meetings that you meet together, those things, are they preparing you 
for the world separate from God's people. So we gather and we scatter, and we gather and we scatter. Are you prepared for scattering? And if, if you aren't, I would hope that you would give a, a bit more attention to this experience together, to our worship and our singing and our Bible reading and our, and our sermons. And, our, and then also, um, if you're not part of a life group, that, then you're less prepared for that. That's just one more time for you to, to focus in, to be encouraged by your brothers and sisters in a smaller room, and to, to really dig into the text. Because this stuff's going to have to last you a whole week. That doesn't sound like very long. But if you slipped into sin during the week ever, which I know you have, you know just how long that is. And sometimes it's agonizing. Especially if you've missed a week or two. If you've ever had to miss a Sunday for sickness or whatever, that two weeks is a really long time. I remember when our kids were little, my wife missed church for six weeks because a week a kid would be sick and they would get better on Friday or Saturday and the next kid would get sick. And then they'd be better. Of course, I gotta be at church, so Wendy's the one stuck at home. So for six weeks in a row, when the kids were little, Wendy was out of church for being sick. And, and I'm, sure, I'm sure she's probably not the only mom that's had that experience. And it's miserable to be away from people for that long. We need to make sure that what we're doing together in our gathering on Sunday mornings, throughout the week, if you're part of a weekday life group, is, is to prepare ourselves for the world that we're going to when we're not together. But perhaps there's a second a application to that distance. So you see, in their case, I'm not sure that was avoidable. They really needed to go back. That was part of God's plan for Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh to go back to the, that land they'd asked for. But maybe there's too much distance in your life. Maybe if you're not regularly attending worship and being part of a congregation on Sunday morning, maybe if you're not part of a life group, maybe if you're not meeting together at some extent on other times with fellow believers, maybe you're too distant. If COVID has taught us anything, the distance thing, man, worship from home is just not the same. It's just not. If you're, if you're joining us today, I'm glad that you're joining us online. I'm glad we have this ability to do this. But you know, this is just not as good. There's something to looking around the room and seeing the faces, the people that we're singing together. I mean, all the entire New Testament instruction for worship is singing to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? That's part of the gathering experience. That distance makes it really hard to live for God. And I assure you that you are no holier than Reuben, Gad, or Manasseh. You are no more capable of obeying God at distance than they are. So let me encourage you, do not forsake the assembly. Do not deprive yourself of the people of God in your life because you will eventually fall away by yourself. The Christian life is meant to live, be lived in community. So firstly, we see the charge to obedience is serious. We need to be prepared for the world that we're going we're to go out to. We need to take obedience and sin seriously as individuals and as members of the local church, even when it might just be the appearance of evil. And that brings me to my second point in the text. And that is the appearance of evil is legitimate. The appearance of evil is legitimate. 
On the way home, so after Joshua releases uh, that Reuben and Manasseh, and Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and they start to head home, they haven't even got home yet, and they build this huge altar. Now, you might think to yourself, good, they're thinking about worship. They built an altar. Unless you know, they're not supposed to do that. There's only supposed to be one. In the instruction building the tabernacle, they gave, the, the, the Lord gave instruction that they were to build this altar that goes with, wherever the tabernacle goes, it goes. There's only one. The people of Israel were to be a people defined by gathering together at this altar, which is, we'll see, is going to be very important to what they're going to respond to. But so the, the, the other tribe, the other nine and a half that, that are still in the promised land proper, get news. It's interesting, and I, I don't really know what to make of it, but there's this passive voice that's used. It says, uh, the, uh, verse 11, then the Israelites heard it said. From where? I don't know. They got news somehow. I, don't, I thought that was interesting. People, like, people are saying, you know, I don't know if you ever people say that. Like, people are saying whatever, and usually that just means like two people have said that, um, and you just don't want to tell who those two people are. But in this case, we don't really know how it is that they got news. I looked all over the place trying to find a commentator that had some help there, and everybody's like, it, they just found out somehow. Somehow they found out that um, these two and a half tribes had built a gigantic altar on their way across the, the, the Jordan. They hadn't even crossed it yet, and they built it there. And so the whole of the nine and a half tribes, all the majority of Israel, is, is, is mustering for war already. Now, think, I, think about the way this, is, this works a little bit. Like, if, if it was us, right? And let's say we, let's say we, we sent out a church plant and we hear, like, the first week that they're spouting, we think they're spouting heresy. Like, like we, might, we might be like, we just saw them last week. What happened? Like, may, I, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure we just misunderstood. I'm sure they're fine. Let's cut them slow. We just saw them a week ago, right? They're probably fine. I think Israel could have done that. Well, we just, they were just at war with us. The, the, the people of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had fought bravely. They left their wives behind. For anywhere, by the way, the shortest uh, conquest uh, timetable is five years. The longest one being in the 14, 15-year range. So as much as 14 to 15 years, they've been without their families at war. Right? They've sacrificed. They have demonstrated their loyalty. So I can see being one of the nine and a half tribes being like, They've done their time. I'm sure it's just a misunderstanding. Let's cut them some slack. Now, what's interesting, if they had done that, they would have been correct, as we'll see, but wrong. They would have been correct that it is a misunderstanding, as we see it, we've already read, and we've already seen the explanation, but they would have been wrong to dismiss it. It was right for them to go to war, uh, to go to be ready for war, right? Because the appearance of evil is legitimate. They need to take it seriously. So they actually, they muster up, they, they send 10 representatives and Phinehas uh, to go to, to confront the, um, to go and to confront the, the people. Because even the appearance of evil needs to be addressed. Um, so they could have, they could have, um, they could have, Dismissed it. Um, also, they, in the back of their minds, it had not been that long ago. In fact, it had been in their lifetime, where on two separate occasions, one person, one person,
person sinned, and the entire nation of Israel was punished, right? The, the, the sin at Peor that they're talking about, where, um, where, where there was a group of people that were intermarrying, uh, just a handful of folks, while that was happening, thousands died. They went to war, if that's the one, I'm, I may be getting this one and the other one mixed up, but um, in both situations, both the sin of Peor and the sin of Achan, both situations, uh, thousands, oh, that's right, and Peor, God sent a plague because of the sin, not just on the, on the people who had intermarried, God sent a plague on the whole of Israel, and thousands of people died because of that sin. And they had repented of that sin, but he says they've not even been cleansed from that yet. They've not even had the opportunity to go through the ritual cleansing process to fix that problem that had already happened. So that it's, the point is, it's fresh on their mind. It just happened. God just punished the whole nation for just a few people's sin. And that other story about the sin of Achan, where, where God says, don't take any of the spoil, but burn all of it as you're conquering these cities. And Achan kept a couple things for himself and stowed it under his tent. And as a result, Israel went to war against the city of Ai and lost. And, and lost badly. That A lot of people died over that one person's sin. So it's fresh on their minds that God is, is, is in the habit of punishing the whole nation for just a few people's sin. They need to take everything that seriously. Holiness, as the sermon title says, is that important. So they, they're ready to go to war. Um, it used to be that you could sneeze in public around here, and people would bless you for it, right? You remember those days? Now it's like when you, if you sneeze like in a restaurant by accident, you're like, check please. Like, you, you know, everybody's, you know, in, right, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make light of COVID, but it, it's, it's, it's a reality that we live in that even when the appearance of COVID, we take it seriously, right? If, I mean, like, literally people stay home from church because they have a runny nose. And by the way, that might be the right, that probably is the right thing to do. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm not being flippant at all. I'm saying these are good policies. Because frankly, we don't, we don't know. We, you know. we don't know how it's always going to be spread, so we need to be careful. I'm not saying we don't. What I'm saying is, is we have learned to take the appearance of COVID as COVID to keep each other safe. We have all kinds of rules in place for that, right? So as soon as you start to cough, you're like, you're starting to look through your calendar and go, all right, what am I going to cancel? I'm going to go get a test right this second to make sure I don't have it, right? We've learned to take the appearance of COVID as though it is COVID for safety. We need to do the same thing with sin in our lives as a corporate body, as a church. Not that we are ready to go, oh, you sinned. I'm going to jump in on that and judge you and hate you, and I'm going to get everybody else to do it too. Hey, look, this person's in sin. Look, everybody. That's not the point. But the point is we don't need to ignore it either, even though in their case, if they'd have cut them slack and saying, oh, it was just a misunderstanding, they'd be right, they'd be correct, but they'd be wrong because they wouldn't be taking the appearance of sin seriously. So we need to treat the appearance of sin as though it were sin until we get to the bottom of what actually happened. Meaning we need to be checking on each believer. Again, we can't be living this Christian life in isolation. We need to be checking on each other. We need to know what's going on in each other's lives. And we can't do that when you're not here. We also can't do that unless we're being proactive. Just coming Sunday morning 
isn't going to do that. Especially if you're here like two minutes after we start and you're like, you know, the last song, you're like packing your books up, ready to get out the door. Like, this is a family, and honestly, it's fantastic. If you've never stood, stayed afterwards for a few minutes to talk, this place is full of people who are so excited to talk to each other because that's what the family of God is like. And this church is better about that than just about any church I've ever served. Like, that's part of the experience, right? We need to be in each other's lives. There is no more room for privacy in the church of God. Now, within reason. But we, we can't keep our sin to ourselves. We can't hide because it's not good for us. We need to have somebody. Babe, I'm not saying that you need to come up to the pulpit here and blurt out everything wrong you've ever done. What I'm saying is, though, there's somebody in your life that needs to know that. Because if there's nobody, you're on your own, and, and your adversary is much stronger than you. But we're meant to do this together. We need to be in each other's lives and holding each other accountable. If you're among us today and you're an unbeliever, you're still checking out church, maybe you're online and you're checking, us out, checking out this whole Christianity thing for the first time, this may seem extreme. In fact, unfortunately, we've got this word for this, and it's puritanical. That is so unfortunate that we use that word because the Puritans are awesome. Um, but we use that word to say, oh, you're just too holy. Like, what does that even mean? Too holy? Like, we should aspire to be too holy, right? We shouldn't, like, try not to be as holy as we could. Like, what, what Christian in the world would want to be? Anyway, so if you're an unbeliever and you're among us, you might think this is extreme. It's, 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 it is extreme. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. And we look out for each other, not to judge one another, but to save one another from death. We want to rescue each other from sin. If you think that sin is just a snafu, or just something you did that's not really atta attached to your person, just sort of a, a, a mistake that you made, if you have that view of sin, you don't know what sin is. Every sin I commit is a violation of the character of God. It is high treason against my creator. That's what sin is, and we need to see it that way. Again, not for judgment, as we'll see, but for restoration. This is why, by the way, that all of the reason, uh, all of the qualifications for elders, we've been talking about this some over the last few months in the, in the Bible, all the qualifications for elder, all but one, are character-related. The only one that isn't is the ability to teach. Everything else is about holiness. Why? Because holiness is so important, our leaders need to be as holy as they possibly could be. That's, it's that important. That's why, that's why those are the case. That's also why, as you can hear some, some whispers of this, and you're going to hear a lot more in the next few weeks, about these three-on-three -three groups that we're getting started. We've had a, some experiments of those through the fall. We're excited about launching those in a, in a bigger way in a few weeks. That's almost the whole point of that is to facilitate relationships where you're in each other's lives to make sure this stuff doesn't happen to make sure it doesn't escalate to the point of course we're not going to get the whole church together with pitchforks and go to war against you that's not the point that's not how church discipline works if you're wondering check out matthew 18 it's a little bit less violent than that um but there is excommunication that's coming if you're living in sin and there's nobody ready to help you there and you get caught in that, and you are unrepentant, excommunication is coming. That's, that, is the, that is the truth of Matthew 18 in the New Testament. The church discipline thing, it, the, the 
if that keeps going, we don't want it to go there. We want to restore you, and we can fix that way sooner if we're in each other's lives. So church, we need to take sin seriously because the outside world will not give us the opportunity to explain ourselves, right? So when, when, when that whole uh, uh, that group goes to, to the other side of the Jordan to talk to the two and a half tribes, and they give them the opportunity to explain, right? That's kind of how the church will work as we're sharing our sins and pointing out what looks like sin in each other's lives. And when you explain, you're like, oh, okay, there's an opportunity. I get it. I understood. I just misunderstood you. The world doesn't give us that opportunity. When the world sees hypocrisy, they switch off, and they do not want to hear the message that we have to bring. That's another reason why we've got to take it seriously. If you don't believe me, check out the response of the world to all of the scandal that happens among supposed church leaders and, and outspoken Christians. Right? They descend like piranhas whenever that happens. We need to take sin seriously because the world needs to see us taking sin seriously. Does that make sense? So the good news is, though, and this has been pretty intense up to this point, but we're getting to the good news. Inside of the church, there's always the opportunity to explain because the result of restoration is desirous. The whole point of this process is not to push away. It's not to point fingers. It's not to, to pronounce judgment. It is to bring about restoration. We want to have relationship. We don't want to excommunicate. We want to draw in. And so in order to do that, we have to be ready to, to declare war, but not to push war. So you'll notice, if they were, I can, if they were all dressed up in armor and, and their, their spears and all that stuff, and they show up, and they don't get a good explanation, they ought to be ready to fight right then and there, right? But notice, as soon as they hear the explanation, they were like, oh, oh, thank God, everything's okay, I'm so glad. And it says they didn't talk about war anymore. They were, they were totally ready to throw, throw their, their, their spears down in the dirt and shake hands and hug, right? That's what they were hoping was going to happen. Um, even in the case for the prosecution, there was an on offer. This, this was fantastic. I just noticed this on my last day of study this week. Verse 19 says, but if the land you possess is defiled, cross over to the land the Lord possesses, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession of it among us. Do you know what that would cost them? I, looked, I, I figured I did the math. The, the nine and a half tribes of Israel would lose 21% of their property holdings to accommodate these two and a half tribes. 21% of their own property, they're ready to give up so that their brothers and sisters do not fall prey to God's judgment. So not only were they ready to take sin seriously, they were ready to do what it took to love these people despite their sin. Just come home. If staying here has been the problem, don't stay here anymore. Come home. The Lord is telling you the same thing. Come home. If that's what it takes. I think about children's television programming. We watch these shows. I don't know if you ever watch TV with your kids. We don't have cable, but we watch stuff on Netflix or whatever. And, and it's like every, every little cartoon, it's like there's no real um, crisis. <laughs> you know, it's always like, so-and-so is, is mean to me or whatever. And at the end of the show, it always ends up being a misunderstanding. Nobody actually did anything evil. 
It's just like, oh, I just misunderstood you, and, I'm, and we're okay now. Like, and we all laughed at that and gone, that's not the real world. Um, and and uh, there's a certain amount of that's true. We, we, need to, we don't need to be, we need to have, take these things more seriously. But, but there is a sense in which we need to be ready to, to see the misunderstanding. Sometimes it is a misunderstanding. Because we need to forgive much and be ready to forgive much because we have been forgiven much. We judge not lest we be judged. And that doesn't say we don't judge. That means we need to realize that we're going to be judged too. So if we're going to call others to holiness, we need to be holy ourselves. We need to follow God's word ourselves. We need to take sin seriously ourselves. Uh, there was a couple of things I thought of. Um, one was the, the hymn uh, we sing all the time, O Church Arise, the, this line, it says, Our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. Right? We realize that the one that we do war against is not our neighbor, it's not our brother and sister who's in sin, that they're not the enemy. We have a different enemy. We need to rescue them from that enemy. So we need to rage against the captor, but love the captive as we, as we, as we love each other. So in the end, we see the picture of the gospel in all of this, because they were willing to give up 21% of their property holdings to do what it took to make sure their brothers and sisters were loved. Jesus gave more than 21% of his property. He gave his life. He was willing to go to death for you. To bring you home. Because he knows that distance from him is the problem. And he wants you to come home. He offers you to come home. And he went to death to do it. If we would, in faith, just go home. Now that doesn't mean you might think, oh, are you telling me I need to die and go to heaven? No, we experience that here. Every Sunday, the looks on each other's faces and the, the songs that we hear and sing to one another and the word of God, which will dwell forever, we experience that together here. That's home. Come home and see Jesus with open arms ready to bring you in, even though it wasn't just a misunderstanding with you and I. It wasn't that we had the right motive when we sinned. No, we had the wrong motive. We, we were in deserving of judgment, but the Lord God in his love and grace and mercy reached out and said, I know the land that you live in is leading you in sin. Come home. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good God? So we as a people then who have received that, who have been offered that home we go with a totally different perspective we want to live for him it's not that it's it's somebody badgering us but we love him and we serve him whatever it takes because we know in the end we get an eternal home let's pray together father god thank you for the love and grace that you have shown us in jesus christ we who not through a misunderstanding, but through willful disobedience, walked away from you and disobeyed your law, we can be made right with you because, of that, because you were willing to do more than just to give us a small portion, but to give us yourself.
and all of yourself. Lord, I pray that we as a people would love each other like you have loved us, that we would take sin seriously and hold each other accountable, that we would not forsake um, the gathering together, um, but would do so even more as the day approaches, and we will glorify your name because of it. We pray these in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Mark. You, let's uh, stand together, and as we're kind of preparing to sing this, uh, this last song, uh, just personally, this is such a witness uh, from, from me. You all know, many of you know that I'm not here, able to be here every week, and so the opportunity to come before you and be encouraged, and as you all sing with us up here, it's such a ministry to me. It's so encouraging. It makes the words that we sing. As I practice them throughout the week, I, I, do, I do what I can to, to meditate on them, but when I sing them here with you all, with God's family, it, it makes them so real to me. And I thank you and I appreciate that just the, the wonderful testimony that you are to me. And I wanted to share that with you. Um, so thank you for that. And let's, uh, let's sing.
morning, church family. Man, I say church family, I really mean that. Y'all are, are my family. You know, um, Emily Faith and I moved here in May, and our family lives in Oklahoma. We weren't able to see them during Christmas, but we had a great Christmas. We got to see our church family, um, Christmas Eve service, and then today. And if there's one thing that I've learned, you know, from the time I became a Christian when I was 17, it should just become more and more apparent over time, is that the church is not accidental. The church is essential. God has promised one group his blessing, his favor, uh, that she will never perish. She will always prevail. The gates of, of hell shall not prevail against us. And that's his church, his bride. And he will be faithful to us until the end. Thankful for, for your, your message, Mark. I was really blessed by that. A couple announcements before we go. Um, number one, the church office will be closed uh, tomorrow on Monday and then on Tuesday as well. So um, if you're going to come by, wait until Wednesday to do that. Uh, secondly, we will have a missions luncheon after church on uh, the 23rd of January. Um, as you know, some things with our mission partnerships have kind of been in flux, and we've recently solidified some things, you know, uh, Pastor Mark and Pastor Sean went to London, so really it's just an opportunity for us to update you on uh, the kind of the state of our partnership, partnerships, what's going on, um, upcoming trips that we're going to be doing in 2022, so uh, come on down and have lunch with us after service on the 23rd and find out how we're um, partnering um, through Acts 1-8 with our partners uh, here and around the world. Thirdly, um, man, Mark's sermon was just so much about discipleship, the importance of it, accountability. Uh, to that, want to invite you all to clear your schedules, make sure that you're there. Uh, February 4th through the 6th, that's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, that's our mentor conference. Uh, if you remember, that was going to happen last, uh, uh, well, earlier this year in the fall. Dr. Chuck Lawless, uh, who's a professor at Southeastern Seminary, where Sean and I went to seminary, he was going to come. Uh, he had a family emergency. His mom uh, passed away, and he had to cancel on us. You may remember that. But we rescheduled. He's coming to us. Again, that's February 4th and 5th. He's going to be with us on a Friday night at session 1 from 7 to 8.30, and then a Saturday morning, 9 to 11.30, and we'll, we'll have this information. But we hope you can join us. Then he's going to preach on Sunday morning as well. Really, the whole point of him coming is giving us the biblical foundation for discipleship relationships, why the Bible uh, commands them of us, encourages us to be a part of them. And then the Saturday morning session is how do you do it, the practice of it? How do you go about cultivating these sort of relationships in your life? So if you are convinced, and I hope you are, about the importance of deep relationships, accountability relationships with fellow brothers and sisters, you need to be there. You need to be there February 4th and 5th and then on Sunday on, on the 6th. We're going to invite you to join our group of threes that we've been talking about um, to be in these discipleship relationships. Church, I, I love you guys, and I, I pray that you have a, a great uh, rest of the holiday season. You are dismissed. Thank you.
Your grace is enough. 